Turning tonight in the Word of God to the book of Acts and to the chapter 9. Book of Acts. And the ninth chapter. Commencing to read at verse 1. Acts 9 and verse 1. And so, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went on to the high priest, and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he find any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? The Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. The Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. And hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to, bear, to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way. But he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight, and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes, as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and arose, and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples, which were at Damascus, and straightway 
he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Amen. We know again the Lord will add his blessing on to the reading that we have just conducted from his holy word. And with that word open before us, we'll bow in a further word of prayer, please. Our Heavenly Father and gracious Lord, again we thank Thee that we're found in Thy presence, and we're under the sign of the book of God, and we pray that the book will be really precious to us, that its application will be so useful and practical, and that I will continue to stir our hearts that we might see great things done in Jesus' name. And so we thank Thee for the days of which we have read here, for the days of the New Testament church, for the times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. And yes, we recognize there was plenty of opposition too, and there was plenty that were stirred up against the going forth of the gospel in that day, just as there are in this. There were plenty then that wanted to put an embargo upon the truth, just as they would again today. But Lord, we pray that Thou will grant us the boldness and the confidence, give us the courage, and grant the blessedness unto Thy church to spread Thy light and to sound out Thy Word wherever we may go. May we be conscious of our testimony and in our interaction with people. May we, Lord, be always careful to recognize that we are bearing about the Lord Jesus Christ as He is being revealed in this world, so He is being reflected through us. May we be good reflections to those who are unconverted. May we be giving the right message, we ask in Jesus' name, and for Thy glory we pray. Amen. So on to the sixth and possibly the final time that we'll take the overall topic, I can if I but try. What we're looking at tonight is a man by the name of Ananias that uh, we will know very, very well from Scripture here. And Ananias, for one, and many others do the same thing, they underline a truth for us, and the truth is this, a very humbling truth as well, revealed in Scripture that God uses people to accomplish His purposes. Now, that's a very basic, a totally simplistic thought, and yet it's something that we ought always to remind ourselves of and keep in mind. And He's spreading His kingdom in the earth. He's building His church upon the earth. But the way in which He does it is, right out into the front rank of that advance against the devil, He is putting people, chosen people, people that bear His name. And so tonight we're going to consider one of those people uh, who was remarkably used by God. He had a high privilege of going on a, an embassage for Christ, and there he was going to lead Saul of Tarsus into the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. He hadn't a notion at that time just how powerful that connection and interaction was going to be what ramifications it would have for the church of Jesus Christ in days to come, 
but God knew the end from the beginning, and so He had set up this entire encounter in His good providence and sovereign grace. Now, we find that Ananias only appears twice in the biblical record, so you'll read about him as we did tonight in Acts chapter 9, verse 10 through 17, and then you'll find him again mentioned in Acts 22 and verse 12 through to 16 there. But he is presented in these cases as a Christian that God was able to use. Basic thought again. But really, we ought to be praying as God's people, Lord, make me that kind of person, a Christian that God is able to use. Well, what kind of a Christian is that? That's the question we're going to approach and hopefully answer tonight. And the first thing that we're going to look at is the area of conversion. Conversion. And again, the basic thought is simply this. God works through Christians. If we are to be used by Him, an instrument in His hand, then we're going to have to be a member of the body of Christ, not just simply someone who's signed a card and come into membership in a particular denomination, somebody who has gone through the ritual and the regimen of some particular denomination, but a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ. God works through Christians. Those who, by the miracle of the new birth, John 3 and 3, have the infilling of the Spirit of God, are made members of the church, and therefore are members of His body, 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13. And if you look at Acts chapter 9 and the verse 4, you will find he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? The Lord is making something known to Saul of Tarsus that he had no idea about, that in pursuing and persecuting the people of God, Saul was actually laying his hand on and attacking the Lord himself. And you'll remember how the Lord did say that if you refuse a cup of water in my name, and if you reject my testimony of my servants, then by extension you are denying and refusing me. Of course, his body is not on the earth, contrary to what Rome might think, that the body again reappears rather miraculously uh, through the form of um, the mass. No, his body is risen, ascended, glorified in heaven, is not moving through the earth today, but we are His body, the children of God. We are His body. Ananias was part of the body, so are we, and so He is working through the ordinary members of His body here upon the earth today. So, the first stop is conversion. Then we move to congruity. Not the most easy word, I grant you, but then when you've got C's and go down this line, you probably do pop into, uh, well, you hit the buffers now and again, and we are doing that with this one. It means, well, incongruous, something that's out of place, not in the right position, why is that there? Because it doesn't fit into the lineup. It's in an incongruous situation here. So, congruity. How does it fit? 
What kind of a fit is it? And the point we're making about Ananias is this, the person whom God works, through whom He works, may be a most unlikely person. Mightn't be, as it was back in the days, whenever the king was to be chosen to replace Saul in the land of Israel, and all of these ideas, and they were in Samuel's head as well, as he looked down the lineup of the sons of Jesse. And he thought, well, it, it could be him. And then as one and by one was a limit, well, it must be the next one. We're running out of people here. And look at the, the style and look at the, the muscular physique on these men. It's got to be some of them. And then, no, it wasn't. It was the most unlikely of all. David, the shepherd boy, who was to be anointed king. And here we have Ananias, and pretty much he's incongruous, just like that maid that was used by the Lord again to reach Naaman, that great officer in the kingdom of Syria, 2 Kings chapter 5 and 2. So we have Ananias here. Who is he? Well, he's described in chapter 9 and the verse 10 as being simply a disciple. There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. So, he's not one of the apostles. He's not a particularly outstanding person, but he is a disciple. That is, he is a follower of the Lord. He is willing to be taught by Him, and the Lord delights to use ordinary people in His service, and He presses him often into extraordinary action for Him. And we have those words that bring everything into perspective in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and 28, where God chooses the weak things and the things of naught and the things that are despised, and He brings through them those things that are something crumbling down at their own feet. It's how God works in an incongruous way, in a way that raises the eyebrows of men and women as they spectate and wonder, well, why did God, why didn't He choose him? Why didn't He commission her? Why did He go the way He did and use the people that He has done? So, we're talking about conversion, we're talking about congruity, and we're talking about conduct here with this man, Ananias. If you were to turn over to, and you don't need to, but Acts chapter 22 and the verse 12, you'll find that Ananias there is described, and he's a man who is a devout man. He's a man who has a good report of all, and that's the kind of person that God pleases to work through. He will be living, she will be living a devout life. They will have that good report. They will be people who are blameless. They're not full of unreality and insincerity. Their testimony is real, and it is known, and it is felt. They have had an impact under grace and under God and by His Spirit. And so, in their activities, as they interact with the world around them, they will show God's grace in their actions and in their words. No point erupting over some scenario and then offering someone a gospel tract. You're making a mockery, a complete mockery of what is intended. No point flying off the handle, 
making a public display, and then standing in the open air as, I am this Christian who wants to bring you the testimony of Jesus Christ. Hey, guy, we've already seen you in action. We know your type and style. Our conduct must be like that of Ananias. That is so important. So we thought of conversion, congruity, conduct. There's consecration as a thought in here. And the man that God is going to take up and use must be totally at his disposal. Some Christians, they're just not available. If the Lord would lay His hand on their shoulder and tell them, go out into the neighborhood, invite them to attend church, see if you can get their children in, they wouldn't be willing to do it. If He would tell them, well, you've got a cushy number as a job here, and what I need you to do is to leave that job and leave your ambition and leave your career as He's done so many times, C.T. Stubbed. One case in point that we've thought of in children's meetings not that long ago. Other missionaries drop everything, glittering, potentially glittering careers ahead of them, and he's telling you, go and serve me in a foreign field. Be a missionary to peoples, perhaps, who have not yet even been reached. Oh, no, don't send me. I have no intention of fulfilling that kind of a command. Speak to my brother. Speak to my sister about that. If he should tell some to give a certain amount of their earnings to the work of God supporting the cause of the Lord, well, we're not prepared to do that either. See, Ananias here was completely at God's disposal, and we see that in verse 10 of chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 to verse 10, And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, hold on, Lord. I have some issues to sort out myself. There's no indication that that's what he said. Rather, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. I am here, Lord. And if you read down through the verses, 10 through 14, you'll notice the degree of intimacy there was in the conversation between him and the Lord. And yes, he did. Uh, Lord, I, I have reservations about this. I'm not so sure about this plan because this man is a noted persecutor of your church. He hates your cause. Are you sending me to him? And that was a legitimate fear that he had within his mind. But notice, his obedience conquered that fear. His trust in God overrode that fear. And here, Ananias, a man on speaking terms with God, and it's important that we should be, he was willing to obey the Lord. And the notable words are, in verse 15, he is told to go. And in verse 17, we are told that he went. There was that instant obedience. Sometimes to obey God means to go against our better judgment. But our better judgment is not better than God's plan because His way is perfect. And our better judgment can 
result in making an absolute atrocious mess of things if we were to follow it. Better to say, as Christ did, nevertheless, thy will be done, because that is always the best. And so Ananias, he completely trusted and totally obeyed God. There was consecration in his life. Conversion, congruity, conduct, consecration, into the realm now of compassion. Compassion. The man or woman used by God must have a Christ-like compassion for the lost. Notice when Ananias encountered Saul of Tarsus, he didn't so much grab him by the lapels of his coat, and of course that's our apparel, wouldn't have been his, but he didn't do the equivalent of that. He didn't accost him and say, you're a scoundrel, you're a persecutor of the church of Christ, you're such a wicked individual, you have done so much evil. He took God's Word on this situation, and he decided God has it right. Because God said in verse 15 to Ananias, He is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And this man who has caused other children of the Lord to suffer, he is going to suffer like all of them and then some more as the days unfold in his life. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him said, what did he say in 17? Brother Saul, brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. It took incredible compassion to say these words and to allow himself to be an accessory in God's plan, to see no less than the Holy Spirit communicated to this man and fill him for service. And not only that, if you want to term it like this, to overtake Ananias among the ranks of the children of God in terms of usefulness in future days. Because from now on, apart from that reference to Ananias in chapter 22, from now on, all we are going to read off essentially is Paul. And Ananias just fades into the background again. That took incredible grace. And a huge test comes our way to call a man or a woman our brother or our sister when they have hurt or harmed us. And really, doesn't that dictate whether or not we are going to be usable to God? Compassion. 
a heart like Christ. How necessary is that? Conversion, congruity, conduct, consecration, compassion. Another word, cognizance, knowledge. This man had to be well informed. And a person that God chooses to work through must be well informed of the ways of the Lord. And again, in verse 13 and 14, you'll see how that played out in this circumstance. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to the saints at Jerusalem, and here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. So he's taking here knowledge at the human level, what he has heard, what he knows. But then that knowledge goes on to a different level. In 15 and 16, those verses that already we have looked at, when the Lord said, and notice, notice how in our English Bible at least verse 15 begins, but here's the turning point. Here's the new level of knowledge. Here's what he now needs to know. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So the Lord educates his man, Ananias, onto the very level that he needed him to do his business at that particular time. God gives knowledge for the occasion. 1 Chronicles 12, 32, Esther 1 and 13, classic example of that. Daniel eleven thirty two. the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And if we are going to do anything in this dark and broken society that God has placed us among, then that basic level of knowledge comes from knowing God's Word. God spoke to Ananias, and He must speak to us if we are to speak to others. We need to be familiar with the Word, rightly dividing the Word of truth, we're told in 2 Timothy 2 and the verse 15. And so we need to know our way around the Scripture. If you and I are going to direct others to Christ, point others to Jesus, lift them into, as Ananias did Saul of Tarsus, lift them into the way of the Lord, show them Here's the plan for you that God has set. Here's the pathway along which He will want you to walk. Here's what we do from here. If we're going to educate them in the ways of God, we need to know our way around the Scriptures. That's why it's so vital to know the book, because that's where God has revealed His mind and His will. And we look at 1 Peter chapter 3 in the verse 15. 1 Peter 3 and the verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, cognizance knowledge. Come to the final point, conversion, congruity, conduct, consecration, compassion, cognizance, conduit, conduit. The man or woman that God is going to use must be able to lead others 
into blessing. And so on the very threshold of this new life in Christ, Ananias is the one, the vessel God uses here to conduct Saul into the fullness of God's blessing for him. So verse 16 and verse 17 again. But I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way, entered into the house, and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Ananias knew that if this man is ever going to accomplish God's plan for his life, he must do it through being filled by the Holy Ghost. Nobody can do it any other way. The early apostles here in this early church, Acts 2 and 4, were filled with the Holy Ghost. Be filled with the Spirit is the command for every single believer in Ephesians 5 and the verse 18. And so it's not an accident that right here at the point of conversion, as he's coming saved to serve Saul of Tarsus, as he's coming to serve his Savior, if he's ever going to serve properly, he needs to be filled with the Spirit of God. And so do we. The only way to be effective is to be filled with his Spirit. I can, if I but try. That was a guiding motive here in Ananias' life. In so many other lives, should be with ours. I can, if I but try. I want to close with a story that you may have heard before, maybe not. During a time of testimonies that were being given in Lansdowne Baptist Church in Bournemouth where F.W. Dixon, the pastor, would have been serving. And we're, we're going back here to the summer of 1952 for a couple of testimonies. And Pastor Dixon heard two very similar stories from two British sailors. And the sailors had never met each other before. Both those sailors happened at a time to be on leave on shore in Sydney, Australia. And they were both, independently of one another, approached by a man in the street who asked them a question. Young man, if you were to die tonight... Where would you be? In heaven or in hell? Both sailors returned home. But that encounter they had with this mysterious messenger on George Street in Sydney in Australia, it left such a deep impression upon their hearts and minds that they both, when they got back to England, sought out spiritual and they came to Christ. Francis Dixon actually had the joy 
of leading one of these sailors to Christ. And then at a later stage, that man and this other sailor gave this testimony. Not long after, Francis Dixon and his wife Nancy had an opportunity to go and minister in Australia and also New Zealand, and so they left for a preaching tour, and they recognized we listen to those sailors. They were telling us about what happened in Sydney, in Australia. And so they, they kept the thought in their mind, and they even intended, if we can investigate that matter a bit further, then we're going to do who was that unconventional street evangelist? Why did he choose to act in the way that he did? Why this form of words? Had anybody else been impacted by his ministry? Did anybody know him that we might come across? when we go to Australia. They began in Adelaide, and Francis Dixon was preaching in a large hall one night, and he told the story of these two sailors who had testified in his church over in England. And at that point, their host, who was sitting right beside Mrs. Dixon, they'd just been introduced. He put his hand up in the air, waved that arm around. Then he jumped up and he said, I'm another. I'm another. His name was Murray Wilkes. And he told him that during the war, this same evangelist had approached him. And he was running to catch a tram, and he had later given his life to Christ in an army barracks just two weeks later. Young man, he heard, if you were to die tonight, where would you be, in heaven or in hell? That Australian tour went on for the pastor when they got to Perth. He again told the story. Why not? He's on a roll. He's finding information. And he told the story about those two sailors back home. And that time, a man approached him after the message to say that, I too became a Christian as a consequence of that same single sentence spoken to me on George Street in Sydney. And what's more, he'd gone on to lead Christian Endeavor in Western Australia. And the story doesn't end there because he hasn't got to Sydney yet. So Francis Dixon gets to Sydney, and he's determined by this stage, I'm going to meet this man. I am going to find out where he is. Need to do it. And on arrival, he told the stories to all that he spoke to him, and in particular to this Christian worker, Alex Gilchrist. And he asked him, do you know who this evangelist could possibly be? Alex says, I know him well. His name is Frank Jenner. Like me, he works for the forces, and he is a sailor himself. Then he told him he worships at one of the Brethren Assemblies here in Sydney. And later on, in Frank and Jesse Jenner's humble townhouse, as Francis Dixon related the stories of those four men who had responded to this evangelist's simple question, Frank Jenner burst into tears, fell to his knees, prayed, O oh Lord, 
Thank you for tolerating me. After a time of prayer, he confessed that he had spoken to ten people each day for sixteen years. But after sixteen years, this was the first time anybody had ever told him of lasting fruit. He said, you know, I've never heard of anybody who has gone on for the Lord. Some I know made professions of faith when I spoke to them, but I never knew anything more than that, and it didn't go any further than that. And this generous and warm man, who nearly instantly inspired confidence in others, he said, you know, my life has been marked by persistence in prayer. I'm not boasting about that, but that's how it's been, persistence in prayer. They were in the days of the Second World War, and they're near the Japanese sector, of course, in Australia, that heightened the sense of urgency as the war came to a close with the atomic bombs that were dropped in Japan at that time. Again, he felt, I need to get out there. I need to confront others really directly about their standing before God. And he said, you know, it didn't come easily to me. I struggled to overcome myself a gambling habit that I had acquired as a sailor. I suffered persistent health problems all through my life. He was so aware of his own weakness that every time before he went out onto that street, George Street in Sydney, he prayed, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Philippians 4 and the verse 13. And they reckoned, comparing notes with him that day, that he'd asked the question to at least 100,000 people. No surprise to find that his influence extended far beyond Australia. Just a month after meeting Frank Jenner in Australia, Pastor Dixon was back in England up at Keswick, speaking at a Methodist church in Keswick in the Lake District. And after the service, a man who went on to work for the mission to Mediterranean garrisons came to Mr. Dixon and he said, I too was challenged by Mr. Jenner, and now I am in soul-winning work myself. And that wasn't all, but we are coming to a conclusion. Four years later, Pastor Dixon's in India on missionary work. And he finds another convert from George Street in Sydney, a woman. She too had responded to the challenge of that evangelist and devoted her life for service in India. And by the time it was over, this little span of years, Francis Dixon knew personally of ten people ten people who had come to Christ as a result of the influence of Frank Jenner. And he thought, I wonder how many more there are. In his own way, 
by his own method, to the embarrassment of many Christians then and today, he had got to the heart of the issue. He directly challenged sailors about their standing before God. I'm not saying his formula, question, is the kind of formula that we should just copy, but it's not a bad one. His life is a wonderful testimony of how God can and does use those who are faithful to Him. I can if I but try. Let's bow in prayer.